Our scripture today comes out of the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, the first chapter, the first eight verses. New Testament. Get yourself past first and second Corinthians and you'll get to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and Joe will pass you out one. <laughs> yeah, I had to remember that one too, Joe. It's like, whoa! <laughs> raise up your hand and, some, and Joe will get you a Bible. We love to hear the Word of God being opened up, whether it's in your phone or whether it's on paper. So, anybody? Thank you, Joe. Colossians 1, the first eight verses. Title of the message is The Amazing Grace in the Family of God. You believe grace is amazing? Is it, it is, is it the greatest human experience that you have ever lived out? Is the grace of God working out in your heart? If it isn't, you don't know grace. You don't know it. It is the most amazing thing on the face of this earth. Let's read about that. So it's the Apostle Paul speaking to the people at Colossae. Listen to what he says. Paul, the Apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father, we always give thanks, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. We're living in difficult times in regards to the church of Jesus Christ. There seems to be a pulling away from intimacy and oneness that God intended for his holy family. We have per personally experienced this firsthand as a family. And it's my prayer that God will use these first eight verses of Colossians to keep our eyes on his intention. I think that Ryan's call to us in that last song uh, really is, was prophetic uh, because do I come here panting after God? Is my heart drawn to him uh, more than anything else? See, they talk about gold and silver in the song, but there's so many other things that we could put in that place that try to draw our attention, draw our hearts to him. Paul says in these verses, and I, he says it in many of his um, opening statements to the, uh, to the churches, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. It is because he knew that it would take those two gifts to firmly hold together and hold close the family of God. And so those words come out to us today. We need grace and peace to rest over us, not only as the, as the family of God at the pier, but also as the big C. Um, it was a, a few weeks ago that I was um, at the former church that I spent time with uh, for nine years as their youth director. And uh, I received a phone call this week from one of my former students. And she just talked about the effect of of the true word of God over top of their church at a time that they needed it and how um, 
she has felt like there has been a move away from God's word, a move away from the focus on the word, and more of a move on trying to make people happy. And so we had to talk about that in a prayer about that. And so as we come into this, um, into this passage, um, we come uh, really realizing that there are, we, we come to it just like in the time that Paul wrote this, where there are cultural storms, internal storms, and individual battles that are going on. And just the same thing as in, uh, in the book of Colossians, um, one of them was the focus on Christ and who really Christ represented among them. And so he spends time about the supremacy of the Son of God. Is Jesus supreme in your life? And there are other things that he talked about, but in these passages specifically, there are seven aspects of the gospel that are important to move a family together in the midst of this. A little contextual understanding, Colossae was located in the ancient province of Asia, which today is known as Turkey. It was infested with false Greek philosophy and uh, heretical legalism and ceremonialism of the Jewish uh, people that were there. Its pastor was likely um, the one that we're introduced to in verse 7, um, Epaphras. Um, he was a convert under the Apostle Paul, most likely, and he was set in place as the pastor of the church in Colossae. Uh, we get a little bit more look at him in the fourth chapter, uh, the 12th and the 13th verse of that, where it says that Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. So he obviously was either with Paul visiting in Rome, or he was actually imprisoned. They're not sure. Um, but he says, he, uh, Paul goes on and says, he's always wrestling with, in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God and mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heriopolis. And so, um, and so this was more than likely, this man was the pastor of this church and so he knew him real well. And so together, Paul and him are talking and are lifting up this church. Um, it's interesting truth about Paul here too is that his relationship with the church at Colossae is that they never met each other. In the second chapter, the first verse, it says these words, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. And so there's a good chance that they did not know Paul. They knew of him. They knew that he was a minister of the gospel and that he had led their pastor. And now he's writing this letter. And they're contending. When we think about this, so this is really coming from the witness that the church had to other people in the world. Paul himself. And so I've ever, I wonder if you have ever thought much about what our time together has been a witness to others, how it has been a witness to others, what it has said in the midst of us, how others have viewed the worshiping body at this church as well as how it was viewed at the church of Cal at, at, um, the Colossian church and what that said what that says, what that has said to other people. There are two things that kind of want to come in the midst of our witness uh, that can prevent it. The first is, do we treat the church like a social gathering? Is this just a social group of people with you, or is this the family of God? I think it's a question we've got to answer. I think much in American society, we treat it like a social. It's like, it's like, well, okay, these are nice people to worship with, but would I really spend time with them and live life with them? I think it's a great question to ask. And I think the other thing uh, that can, um, can be a witness that I think can be negative is this. In fact, um, 
Oswald Chambers brought this to my mind, and I've thought about it. He says, says this. Um, well, he doesn't say this. He gives us this attitude. God's Spirit draws us around people who we would not normally socialize with. Why does he do that? He does that so that his grace can be manifest in and through us. How does that happen? When people learn to love and walk with each other who would not normally socialize with each other, the world picks up his head and says, what is that all about? What's that all about? How can those two people love each other, walk with each other, care for each other, when we can see clearly they're nowhere near being the same social economic status? You know, India has done a really good job of giving us a picture of what what the world looks like, right? They have different classes, and nobody crosses over from one class to another. They have done that very, very well. And I think that their religion of Hinduism has helped them to form that. And that's unfortunately how the world views. I have my flock, you got your flock, and that is all what it's about. But that's not our God. Grace manifests itself publicly in the presence of people who are learning to love each other when they shouldn't even get along. It's true. It's true. And so as we go into this, as you think about this, I want you to keep those two things in mind. Paul makes this real, even in his salutation as he opens up uh, to the thing. He says this, and you, you can just look this over and say, what does that mean? Well, first of all, I want you to notice that he, his title is the fact that he's apostle of Christ by his own will, right? He's moved himself into that. He has made it happen, right? Is that, isn't that what it says? Whose will is it? By the will of God. By the will of God. That's so important. That is so important because he's not manipulating himself into anybody. He's not pushing himself into a position. He is allowing the will of God to work out in his life, and that is so hard, so good for us to hear. And it's good for the people of the Colossian people to hear because they were all a part of a generation of Roman people and of people that manipulated, that enslaved, that pushed their will onto others. And that was not the Apostle Paul. He was relaxed into the fact that it was God's will, and he was in prison as an evangelist to the world, and he was okay with it. That's crazy. If you think about that, if you think about that. But that's the first thing. The second thing is the point of what I want to make is that to God's holy people, uh, verse 2 says, in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Now you can just look that over and say, oh yeah, whatever. But if you understand the view of women in that day to the place that a woman was a possession of a man, and almost just a little bit above a slave, but a possession of a man. And that, and that what that brought into their life was abuse and divorce and using and, and manipulation. And yet, look at what Paul did. He rose women up to uh, the equality table of unity. He rose them up to a position um, of of the fact that they were equal, even with men. And uh, no matter what the social status, position, or economic status, power or fame, it didn't matter to Paul, in Christ we are all equal. The question that I have, are we finding this gospel equality at the table of unity of his amazing grace? Are we finding that? When you walk in this place, do you feel an equal part of the family? No matter where your background and what what you've come from. And it's this gospel, it's this 
word that is, literally means good news. But one thing in my studies that I don't think we think about often is not only was it good news, but in the classical Greek, it speaks of the report of victory brought back from battle. That when we talk about the good news, we're talking about the fact that our life is an experience of victory because Jesus Christ has overcome the devil, he's overcome our sin, he has bought us back, and we are victorious in him. And our, our life is, is a reflection of that victory. And we speak of it often. Even in the midst of really hard times, I think that's when it's the most amazing, when things seem to be difficult. Is Jesus your victory? Is he our victory as a family? Because that is the, that is the atmosphere. As we all live that out together as a family, that's the atmosphere that people walk into. Is that true about you and me? Is that true about this church? When we think about the gospel, it is described several ways throughout Scripture. In Acts 20, 24, the good news of God, it's called the good news of God's grace. In Romans 1, 9, it is called the gospel of the Son. In Corinthians 9, 12, it's the gospel of Christ. In Romans 15, 16, it is the gospel of God. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it's the gospel of the displays of the glory of Christ. In Ephesians 6.15, it is the gospel of peace. And in Revelation 14.6, it is the gospel, the eternal gospel. In our passage, it's, we say it is the true, in, in, verse, um, in verse 5, it is the true message of the gospel. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. It is the power of the truth of the gospel that resonates through the halls of believers. That is the gospel. That is the amazing gospel. And so as Paul opens up his reflection on the family at Colossae, he is appropriately thankful to God. In verse uh, 3, we always thank God the Father. Because Paul knows that any evidence of salvation among a group of people comes from a gift that has been given to them freely. Ephesians 2 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Nobody can come in this place boasting about knowing God. Because the only way that we truly know God is as if he's revealed himself to us through the gift of grace. And so there are these points. And so as you go down this passage, look at them with me. First of all, in verse 5, excuse me, verse 4, it says, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. The evidence of the gospel of truth is by faith. The evidence of faith to be seen must be a faith that goes beyond what someone says they believe. It must be an action that naturally comes from a heart that is moved by God. True faith is not a leap in the dark, but true confidence of walking in the light because of the evidence of the true gospel. It's not merely an intellectual treaty, but a heart that is confident and has placed its hope and insurance in what cannot be physically seen. Faith, then, is really an action of the will in the light of truth and an intimate response of the openness of one heart. The action of the will is really the root word of faith. The root word of faith is obey, which points to the reality that faith, faith always leads to an action of the will. If your will is not being moved to obey God, especially in the light of of a sin that wants to hold on to you, you're missing faith, what real faith is. If someone has put their faith in an addiction, 
when that addiction calls, they respond because the action of their will is to move toward that addiction. If our faith is in Jesus Christ, when he calls, we're moved to respond by our will to that. But I want you to notice that in this verse it says that we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. The word in there in the original language really goes to, uh, indicates a place of security and anchoredness. So our faith is secure and anchored in Jesus Christ alone. Not in what we know, not in past actions that we've done, but solely in Christ. And that is what Ryan was trying to sing us to understand is that you'll know that if my passion of my heart, because that's the next one, a passion of my heart is moved by Jesus Christ because what I know of him. So if obedience is the evidence of a will enacted by faith, then listen to this. Repentance is a response of a heart moved by faith. Repentance is not only an act of will, but it is a heart moved by a new purpose of one person's life. Why do we repent? Because we see that outside of Christ, our our life was ruined. It was useless to the purpose that it was made for. And we realize that in Christ Jesus, our usefulness comes from him. And that we're beginning to walk into that which we were called to from the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time, actually. In what the Thessalonians were noted for this, in the first chapter, the ninth verse, it says this, listen, they tell us, this is the witness, these are people that are watching those, in, and remember, Paul only spent just a very short time in Thessalonica, very short time, but the gospel moved in miraculous ways. It says that they tell you, they tell us how you turned from, to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see, there's three elements of saving faith. The first element is turning to God. You have to turn away from what you have been worshiping, what had had control over your life, what you have been fighting for that was a sin, and turn to that which is true. There's a turning to God. But then the second element is and I said it, but it's a turning from evil, right? So it's turning to God, turning from evil. But the third is the one that we sometimes look over. It is the intent to serve God. It is if, if, if our life is ruined outside of Jesus Christ and he brings us back into the purpose and the usefulness of our life, then our full intent means he knows what my life was made for. So I'm going to serve him. Whatever he calls me to do, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. I will turn to him. I have a silly illustration, but it was brought to my mind in my studies. So soon I had not been dating long. And it was a Sunday afternoon, I remember it. There was uh, a car drove up in the driveway and there was a knock at the door. I was in, we were in eating. Sue went to the door and, uh, and she didn't come back in for a while. I'm kind of thinking, oh, what's going on here? What I didn't know was happening was a guy that had been dating my wife before us had come. He had purchased a ring for a deeper intention and commitment. And he, in his car, was offering it to my wife to continue their relationship. I'm inside. At the table. My... Again, silly, but my wife had to turn away from him, turn toward me with the intention that our relationship would walk together to something more. That's a little bit of what it's like in repentance. Turning from, from sin toward God with the intention that he understands the purpose of my life, and I'm intending to follow him. Does that make sense to you guys? It's a fuller intention. I think it's a fuller view of repentance. And it is, it is 
It is what faith looks like in Jesus Christ. And Paul saw this and said, wow, have you done that? Have you? I think it's a great question. I think it's a great question. It is evidence of true faith. Evidence. So that's the first. The second is, so faith is the first. The second is the evidence of the gospel. We find it in the second part of verse 4. Right? So we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and what? Of the love you have for God's people. Ah, The love that you have for God's people. Faith is moved by the truth and the heart is growing openness by repentance and it is It'll be a natural move away from selfishness and a draw of sinners. Um, my wife was meeting with somebody uh, this week that said to her, she says, I just, I have a draw to be with people who I am like-minded with in Jesus Christ. And I think that's an experience that all believers will experience if they truly are following the Lord. In 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from life to death or from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Another version for each other um, is brethren. Jesus was on point, was so on point with this that he said in John 13 that actually this would prove that you're my disciples as you have loved one for another. Now, I thought this was interesting in my studies. MacArthur says this, that does not mean we are to feel the same emotional attachment toward everyone. Okay? True biblical love is so much more than an emotion. It is a sacrificial service to others because they have needs. We show godly love to someone when we sacrifice ourselves to meet that person's need. That would truly go against consumer Christianity today who comes in and says, okay, I'm here, you give me, you give me, and then I'll walk out and I'll really feel good about it. You're you're really here, we're really here to give to two. One is to give our heart to God and the other is to give our life to each other. That's why we're here. That's what makes up a family. In a world where everybody agrees with the group queen, and they say, can anyone find somebody to love? Find me somebody to love. The growing evidence of love should be in and among this family. It is the evidence that speaks to the world. Is that true for you and me? So we've talked about faith, we've talked about love. Can anybody guess what the next triad is? Faith, love, and hope. Good. Paul got it too. And that's what we see in the, in the gospel here. He says that, that um, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that springs from, listen to me, springs from hope. Stored up in you, stored up for you in heaven, and about what you've already heard in the true message of the gospel. It's hope. It's hope. Same thing that he says in 1 Corinthians 13. It is the atmosphere evidence of the gospel in Colossae and here. Jesus said this in the sixth chapter of of, um, Matthew. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and moths and thieves, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then that, that was picked up by Peter also, and he said this in the in the first uh, first book, first chapter of Peter. He says these words. Praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and unto an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. 
There's an interesting effect of the temporary that plays out in the experiences of humans on this earth. It either causes us to hold on to things tightly because we realize that it could leave us at any time, or it causes us to live a careless life. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Every single one of us has this effect of the temporary on us. Every single one of us has to fight it. But there is a third experience, and that is the effect of hope. The effect of hope. Hope is the confident expectation of something better ahead. Hope is the vision path experiencing right now to the spiritual. Hope says no matter what you're experiencing right now, I have something better for you. Do you believe that even though these eyes don't see it? Do, can you live in that reality even though everything in your circumstances says it's going different than that? Can you believe that? John, in his uh, first, um, first book, um, toward the end of the Bible, says these words in the... Uh, um, in the third chapter, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know, did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God and what will, be, what will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. Listen to this. All who have this hope in him Purify themselves just as he is pure. There is an amazing effect of hope on us. Hope reveals unconditional love. Hope opens the door to our true identity. Hope reveals the strangeness of the physical and the true home of the spiritual. Hope reveals that purity comes from knowing we will see Jesus face to face someday. Hope is an amazing truth. How do we know that somebody is living with hope? Hopelessness has one message and one message only. Grab all you can get on this earth because there's nothing better coming. The evidence of hope is that you live, listen to this, sacrificing the present on the altar of the future. You sacrifice the present on the altar of the future. Worldly lust promotes the tyranny of the immediate. Godly perseverance says, the Lord has your future. Wait patiently and trust his good for your future. Psalm 135 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Is that you? Is that me? Is that the witness of this family? I believe that hope for a better future becomes the glue that holds us together as a family. And that it is a growing faith and love together, all three, that bring forth the promise that God gives us a confident expectation that God is working out all things, all things for our good and for his glory. The evidence of hope. So the evidence of faith, love, hope, and then also the evidence of producing fruit the gospel is bearing fruit and growing let's stop right there the gospel is bearing fruit in Isaiah 55 where it says that that the word comes down like rain and it does not return void is also picked up by Jesus Christ it says that when when our when our um, soil is tilled we go through the hard times, we break up the ground, that rain comes down, that a fruit will grow, and it will produce 30, 60, and 100-fold. It's producing fruit. It's producing fruit. Specifically because the chief, this growth is called spiritual growth. 
Specifically because the chief cause, capital C, is the Holy Spirit. Moved by the Word of God, it's living and active, it pierces the very heart and soul of a human. It grows both individually and corporately, or individually and universally. Individually because it impacts and moves and changes the soul of a human, one person at a time. Universally because it impacts and grows the family of God, the church. Never in human history, listen to me, did one change not affect the other. We've heard in our history people saying, well, I, Jesus I love, but the church I don't like. It's not a reality. It's an issue in their heart. They both are two twins in the same crib that cannot be separate. And growth in, in the love of Jesus Christ will automatically grow the church because people's hearts will be drawn to come together and to worship together. The only prevention of this is the rebellion of the human heart. In 1 Thessalonians 1.6, it says, You became imitators of us and of the, Lord Je- of the Lord. This is what Paul's saying. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. The suffering is not the, is not, is not the variable. The variable is, is the Holy Spirit within us. David cried out to God, to renew his spirit when he had sinned against God through Bathsheba. And he lived with it for 12 months. And he said, restore the joy of my salvation. And so, and so fruit is going to come out of people who come together humbly before God, people who come together humbly with each other. Has God's gospel rained down on your heart? Then bloom where you're planted. Let God pave the path and have the privilege and honor to watch God water and grow the family in front of you. The evidence of the gospel of truth is is growth, is spiritual growth. And then in verse 6, we see another evidence. It says that as that bears fruit, it does what? It grows throughout the whole world. In the book of Daniel, the evidence of the gospel truth reaches the world. In the book of Daniel, we have a picture of a statue that represented every single human construct of kingdoms. It was an immediate picture of what was going to happen in the front of Israel. But it's also a picture to us. Here's that statue. Gold head, silver chest, bronze and clay feet, iron and clay feet. Standing, standing up as a great statue. And then there was a rock that was hewn, not by human hands, from a mountain. And as it rolled down the mountain, it came and it struck. It struck the statue and pummeled it to pieces. Why is that so important? Because every human construct of a kingdom will fail. Will will but there is a kingdom that will never fail Jesus said I am the light of the world he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life Colossians where we're studying in the 13th verse says for he God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves the kingdom of light In Colossae, as well as among us, though God's Holy Spirit was building a kingdom in the hearts of people. They were being transformed and changed by the gospel. They were being separate from their their culture. They were not engaging in their culture's activities. Their conversation was was not as the culture speaks. They were different 
They were not in, involving themselves in the culture's activities to the point that the culture, as Peter would say, that they became, they became like frustrated and angry because, they, because these new believers were not involved in the same activities as they used to be. Is that you? Have your friends who do not know Jesus Christ become frustrated because you no longer engage in the things and the activities and the conversations that, that you had? It's because you're being built into a new kingdom. As I thought about this, I thought about something that God has done among us that not only is it our witness as a church, but have you guys been hearing about Aaron Aaron, in Indonesia, has been exploding. You know, he came to our church because he said, I've been taught good doctrine, but I have not been taught how to live my doctrine out. And I want to do that. And so he was with us for four or five years, going out with Chuck, visiting, going out in Backyard Bible Club, going out in different ways, witnessing the gospel, and he's been growing he gets to know over, over into Indonesia. His heart is exploding. It was witness to me that Aaron, on a phone call, giggled. <laughs> now, if you remember, he came to us so serious. He giggled because the Spirit of God is just exploding in his life. He has learned the language at a, at a, that has astounded people. He is in his second place right now. Think he is working with a farmer on, um, on teaching the Indonesian people how to farm and to bring crops forward. I didn't think about that until, until I said that. But just, yeah, and he's, just, and he's talking to people and he's telling college students about Jesus and he's, he's just exploding. It's a witness about what has happened in this family amongst you all to the world and Tiffany. It's just amazing. And so there is a gospel evidence of reaching the world. You see... The gospel is not, the gospel being good news is not just good information or just good moral rules. It isn't just good opinion or option. It is universal life. It is for all people. Through Jesus Christ, the Creator's Son, it is opened to everyone. And so it is the evidence to the world. Is that the evidence that we, that we give? Finally, the evidence of the gospel truth is what? Verse 7. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And stop right there. The evidence of the gospel of truth is preached by people. Epaphras was called by God and Paul to be a preacher at Colossae. As Paul referred to him many times, he referred to Epaphras as a bond slave, a faithful minister. Even though God does not need humans, he has chosen to use humans for the advancement of the gospel. Romans 10 says this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can... Anyone preach unless they're sent. But this is a, a very great truth that God brought me uh, to. Oswald Chambers says, The creative power of redemption comes through the preaching of the gospel, but never because of the personality of the preacher. Fall. An era where we have seen amazing orators fall. It's because of one reason and one reason only, pride. 
as though somehow their personality was the advancement of the gospel instead of the, the Holy Spirit. And we have seen it time and time and time again, and it's time for us to realize it isn't a personality that brings forth change. It is Jesus Christ. And so I promise you, as long as God has me in front of this place, I will, I will lift up Jesus Christ in front of you and not Wayne Anderson. I mean that with everything I am. Because Jesus Christ is the one who has called so that we could. And, and I, I, I thought of this and I, said that I wrote this statement down. We need to be a people that bring to accountability both the preaching of the word and the action of the preacher. Both, listen to me, in the pulpit and, and in the seat. Because we believe in the priesthood of believers. We believe you, yep, you, yep, you, stop it. You're arguing with me. We believe that we all are part of the priesthood of believers. And we all have a responsibility to share the gospel with people. And that this position is at no higher level than any other. It is the same. We're walking on level ground together. And that's always been important for me to say, and I hope that you don't get sick of it. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16 says, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. This is a great segue to the conclusion of this message. And that is this, as we conclude this passage. So we have talked about faith, love, hope, bearing fruit, spreading through the world, and preached by people. But listen, and verse 8 says, And who also, Epaphras told us, of your love in the Spirit. I think that ties it together. It is not by effort. It's not by, you know, I'm going to love Felicia because, well, I'm just, going to love her. I'm going to try to love her more. It's the fact that the Spirit of God joins us together as one. We are one in the Spirit. That's what joins us. We're one in the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that allows us, that brings the evidence of the gospel together in faith, love, hope, reaching the world, producing fruit, growing in grace, and preached by people. It's the Spirit that ties us together. As you think about the family of God, ask yourself this question. Is the evidence the gospel of truth coming out of my presence here? Stop being the discerning person over others. It's easy to criticize others. Look into your own heart. Is the gospel evidence coming out of my heart here in this place? Out of the activities I do here and out of the unity of the heart that I have with others? As I end this, I just I was I thought about this. Um, um, Sue and I, when we do marriage counseling, um, we usually bring one point that we think is very important to the table, and that's this: when you have trouble in your marriage, the first thing that the that the natural self wants to do is to say, "Well, it's Tony's problem." But what we teach is that what that does is that separates the two of you. It's us versus them, and all of a sudden, you, you, you're on fighting ground. But if you'll say this one phrase and believe it in your marriage, it'll help it. This is our problem. And we'll, sir, we, will, we will take care of it together as a couple. Jesus Christ called us to be a family here at the pier. It wasn't because of, of the, the core team's leadership of, 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 of trying to coerce people to come. It wasn't because of the fact that um, it's such a dynamic ministry of speaking and of music that you just felt like you had to come. It is the fact that God's Spirit called us to come to be a people. And, and it's by faith that we're drawn together. It's by love that we're held together. It's by hope that 
we endure through the hardship of each other because we have a hope of a better thing coming. And it will produce fruit and we will grow and the world will see it and testify to what's happening. And it is the spirit and it will be, and we'll grow up preachers among us. People will go out and preach. All of a sudden, Kathy's going to be at a gas station. She gets this. She goes to say, I don't know how you'd say that in, in, in your beautiful voice language. You need Jesus. That is not it. <laughs> that ain't it. But, but people of God, it's true. And that's what God wants to raise up among us. It was happening in Colossae, and it witnessed all the way over to Rome in the Maritime um, prisons where Paul was at. What about Wyoming? What do they believe about us? What is being witnessed to your neighbors in Wyoming, Grand Rapids, Kentwood, wherever you live? What's being witnessed? Stand with me as we pray. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for your word that's true. I thank you, Lord, for um, uh, this reality in front of our eyes, um, Lord, as a family. We're not some organization. Um, we're not some, some kind of construct that, uh, uh, that man goes to, to to get some social status. We are a family of God here. And Lord, my... Um, my heart knows, especially in this neighborhood, but I know even for some of us in this room, that um, we have had a pretty broken family in our past, and brokenness wants to continue to follow forward. But Lord, we believe in a God. We believe in you, the one who can hold his family together. The one who has said, do not neglect the gathering of believers as some have come in the habit of doing, but gather all the more especially as the day comes. We believe in you. And so, Lord, off of our faith comes love. Off of our love comes hope. Off of our hope comes, comes uh, fruit and preaching and the world hearing and all the things that you have told us. Father, continue to water us with your word. Continue to work among us. Lord, I truthfully believe with all my heart that forgiveness is for the, for the fact that as we walk together as a family, we're going to hurt each other once in a while. And if we can forgive, our relationships will be closer than what they were before. And so, Father, I just pray that you'll bless this family with, with perseverance and endurance, that truly the witness, the, the, the amazing grace is given evidence in the family of God at this place. We love you and we trust you and we believe you for that. And we are following you and you alone. In the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said.